Good evening, and welcome to the evening sermon stream here at Forest Heights Baptist Church. Uh, before I pass it over to Brother Mike, I just have a couple announcements for you. Uh, first, if you haven't been watching the last few Sundays, we are starting to have our regular morning worship service here in the building, so be sure to come join us at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. Uh, if you are not feeling well or otherwise unable to come, we are still going to be streaming on Facebook, YouTube, and using our call-in line, so be sure to uh, join us that way if you're not able to join us in person. Uh, other announcement I have is, again, if you um, need any assistance during this time, whatever it may be, uh, picking up groceries, t- being taken to an appointment, uh, just message the church either on Facebook or by sending an email to info at fhbcathens.org, and we will get with you on how and get you taken care of. Uh, now, before I pass it over to Brother Mike, let's have a word of prayer. Uh, hey, God, I just thank you for this day and this wonderful opportunity that we have just to be able to come together Uh, as a body of believers, and just dive into your word, God. Uh, I pray that you just be with Brother Mike as he comes and brings the message. Uh, I just pray that you would just prepare our hearts for the message that you have, and uh, you would just speak through him, and we would be able to apply that to our daily lives. Uh, God, if there are any prayer requests that people watching this may have, uh, I just pray that you would just be with those people in a very special way, God, uh, whatever that request may be. Uh, We love you, and we praise you, and it's all in your son's name that I pray. It's good to be with you again, and I'm excited about when everyone can be back in church and worshiping together, but we're worshiping together in a different way at this time, and so we'll try and make the most of it. We thank the Lord for what He's done, for what He's allowed. It's all the glory that, or every bit of the glory needs to go to Him, and so we, uh, we just want to make sure that we give it to Him. So let's uh, begin with a word of prayer, and we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians as we continue our study that we started last week. Father, I just want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for your love and your grace, and Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. And I just pray that all of this that's being uh, done, that everything that's happening, I pray that it will be uh, done and happened in such a way that It will get our attention and that we will be drawn to you and closer to you and that you will be honored and glorified through it all as we trust in you and as we allow others to see our lives that uh, is exemplary of a hope, a hope that is higher than what anything can be offered in this world, a hope that is uh, Uh, from your kingdom, from you, and I just pray that they'll see this and that they will be uh, uh, encouraged by it and drawn to it, and Lord, uh, that they'll find you in it if they don't know you. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Gene Getz, professor, former professor of the Dallas Theological Seminary, Uh, In his book, he uh, wrote in the late 60s and early 70s when I was a full-time professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, I faced some very challenging questions from my students. In general, the American society uh, was in a state of turmoil. We were in the middle of Vietnam War. Young people were very disenchanted uh, with life at Uh, all levels. The sacred cow of science and its promised results were not working and there were no signs of that great society that they had been promised. 
Furthermore, moral and spiritual values were changing dramatically. More and more young people were becoming disillusioned with the adult hypocrisy and inconsistency and were dissatisfied with what they felt was a depersonalized society, he writes. And uh, this type of society was swallowing them up, squelching their individuality and destroying their creative potential. They felt lost in a huge cultural machine and seemed out of, that seemed out of control. They felt let down. Their main recourse was to vent their anger on the institutions of America, he said. They marched on Washington, staged sit-ins on university campuses, tried to burn down college buildings. They carried signs, make love, not war. Their escape was often drugs and sex. This anti-institutional mood quickly spilled over into the religious community, he said. The church also became a target for severe criticism as being irrelevant, superficial, filled with hip, uh, hypocrisy. Too many Christian leaders were more interested in form and structure and programs than in people. Many churches were caught up in the numbers game rather than in, cre in creating an atmosphere for qualitative Christian growth. And then he goes on and he says, I was faced with a lot of these questions as a professor, which led him to write the book that he wrote. And he said, these are some of the questions that I was faced with. What does God intend the church to be? Why does it exist in this world? What is its major purpose? What is vital? What is a, a vital and dynamic Christianity? What does it look like? And what is the true measure of a church? Well, we've been looking at First Thessalonians, and we've been looking at the you know the beginning of it, and we're going to look at the marks of a genuine Christian church, a genuine church. What God a lot of the marks that God intends for a church to have, to be genuine, to be real. So last week we uh, looked at verses 1 and 2, and uh, we looked at the called out ones. In other words, a church, that's what the church means, called out. It's called out from the world, and it's called into the sphere of Christ and God's kingdom. And this happens by being born again. And so uh, Paul's uh, salutation when he addressed the Thessalonians uh, in the beginning verse, he brings this out in his uh, beginning. He talks about the address and uh, the, he identifies the addressees and, and he identifies the basis for being called out. And it's by God's grace. And so now we're going to look at the second part of it, and that is the pattern church. And we're going to move down to verses 6 and 7, but we're going to be looking at verses 2 through 7. And we probably won't get all of those verses in this message, but 
I want to start with verses 6 and 7 as we talk about the pattern church. The church in Thessalonica was considered the real thing. It was considered the example, the pattern to live by. It says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Then here's verse 6. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord. In other words, they saw the Lord working in those three men. Having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So much so, he says, that they also became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia, in northern and southern Greece. So as we look at this passage, we're going to begin with looking at them as a pattern church. They were a called out church. We saw that in the introduction, but they were a pattern church for others to follow so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Paul is telling the believers in that area that they had become a model church, that they were model Christians for others. How many of us can really say that we're that way to others? How many others have really tried to follow us because they saw Christ in us? They were the real deal. Now, they weren't a perfect church. None of us are perfect. None of us will be perfect this side of heaven. One day we're going to have that glorified body when we're with the Lord. And we will return with that glorified body. But until then, uh, right now, we are imperfect, but we're saved by grace. And we're being transformed, uh, as we'll talk about later. So they were not perfect people. They had become imitators of Paul and Silas and Timothy, who were not perfect believers, but who had been changed by the grace of God. They were a new creation in Christ in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Paul explains it this way. A new creation in Christ. Old things had passed away. Behold, new things had come. These were the ones who had led them. These three men were the ones who had led those believers in Thessalonica to the Lord. And they were not perfect, but they saw Christ working in them, and that attracted them. All of this occurred by the grace of God, and it still is occurring. 
as believers come to know the Lord and as we grow in Christ. The Macedonian believers were a changed community of believers, but they were not a perfect community. Their change had been noticed by others, and they had become a pattern church for others to follow. They said, man, we see what God is doing in your life. We see how God is working in your life, and we want that to happen in our lives also. They were examples that others witnessed God's saving grace in their lives, and that saving grace work in their lives. Others heard of the Thessalonian believers and endeavored to imitate their conduct. The Thessalonians, which we'll talk about this later, they received the word, they reflected the word, and they reached out with the word to others. But what made them this kind of church, this real church, this church that others wanted to follow? Well, first of all, they had to be called out. They had to be saved. They had to be born again to be a pattern church. I mean, it begins there. Lost people are not patterns for us to get to heaven, for uh, how we're to live. There may be good people out there or that we, or other people think that they're good, but they are not the ones that have Christ-like character in them because they're not born again. Only born-again believers have this. So what are some of these marks? Some marks that make up the real church, the real, that make the church a real deal. What made this church a real deal? An ideal church for others to follow. Well, let me say, first of all, some things that are not mentioned. Number one, they were not, you know, there's nothing mentioned here about how many members belong to that church. Now, there's nothing wrong in trying to get more members in. We should all want to see people saved. But that was not a characteristic that made them the real deal. That was not something that worked internally from them. That was an external thing that came from them internally being changed by the grace of God. Nor is anything mentioned about the programs they had. And, and maybe they had some programs. I don't know. I know that they had God working in them. And they were doing things to reach people. Nothing is mentioned about how many baptisms they had in that year. But they were certainly seeing people saved. We see that. So what is mentioned about them? Well, no, number one is they were a transformed church. Number two is they were an elect church. And we'll be talking about all of these. Number three is they were an exemplary church. Number four is they were an evangelistic church. And number five, they were an expectant church. So these are some of the marks of a real church. Not all of them, but some. And they're some of the marks of a, being a real Christian also. I mean, that's a given. You might ask, why? Because when we speak of the church, we are speaking of people who are born again who make up that body of believers. And the marks that we are discussing are the marks that show the membership with its distinguishing marks that 
separate them from the world. They're living, a, in other words, a different kind of life. As a church is growing in Christ, it should constantly be growing this way, producing these kind of marks. As we look at this church, one thing you'll not see mentioned is the size of the church. Paul does not say you're an ideal church because you have grown from the number of 30 last year to 150 or 200 this year. You're an ideal church because you had 75 baptisms last year or the first year and or the first part of the year and now you have a hundred. We don't read in the epistles about the size and the programs and the ministries as I mentioned, the music and the facilities of the church. They may have all been a part of it but they were not the distinguishing marks. Why do you suppose that? Because God is more interested about our internal temperature. The internal temperature of the church, which means the internal temperature of its believers that make up the church. In other words, what is going on on the inside of that believer, of that church, that group of believers? This Thessalonian church was a healthy church and the temperature was a nice average 98.6. This church is a healthy, vibrant church. Now let's look at its healthy marks. First of all, as I mentioned earlier, a transformed church. You look at chapter 1 of Thessalonians and begin with verse 2 where it says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, and it continues to give these different marks. Well, verse 2 begins one long sentence that ends at the end of the chapter. In other words, verse 1 was the only part that was separated from that long sentence, the salutation. It was excluded from that one sentence. The subject in that long sentence is we with the main verb being we give thanks. And so Paul is giving thanks to God, not to someone, but to God for these believers throughout this entire chapter. He's giving thanks. Why? Because God is at work in them. He's transformed them and is transforming them. The source of thanks is not them, the source of thanks is God. We give thanks to God always for all of you making mention of you in our prayers. It is God who is working in and through them, Paul says. And we give thanks for that. God is the one who gets the credit for what is happening in this church. Why? Because it was a divinely inspired church. It was a church that was being used by God. Paul lets us know that he and his ministry team, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, are praying for the believers in Thessalonica. The great Bible teacher F.B. Meyer once said, the tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer. Isn't that interesting? He goes on to say, no, it's not unanswered prayer, but it's unoffered prayer. Wow. 
The reason so many times we don't have something is because we lack in not asking. In other words, it's not because of unanswered prayer. Most of the time it's unoffered prayer. Knowing how to pray. Praying according to God and His will. God delights for us to come to Him with our desires and the, and, and the desires and needs of others. We need to pray for each other. We just, you know, I enjoy the Wednesday night prayer meeting. We've continued on even though we've not been able to meet in person. We've met over the phone and over TV in, in the area of the Zoom type ministry and and we met together and and we continue to pray for each other we lift up the needs and the request of one another we pray for each other the big question is do you pray for the members of this church i wonder if we took a test today and that test was one of the questions was do you pray for the members of this church how do you pray another question how many times do you pray? You see, Paul said that he constantly bearing in mind these believers. In other words, Paul was a prayer warrior. He was constantly calling to mind these believers. He was constantly remembering them. Paul was constantly calling to mind and thinking about these believers he had left behind as he traveled on in this missionary journey. This is a good example of a prayer warrior. We need to be praying for a better memory, perhaps. Praying that we will constantly be remembering one another and the needs that we have. And we need to be praying that other believers will also remember the needs that we have. And, that, and others have, and that they'll be praying for it also. There are different reasons that we don't pray for others like we should. One reason is it, it might be that we don't know the needs that others have. I mean, that's a common reason. We just don't know it. So we're, we're uh, you know, this is one reason that, that we should be in close fellowship with one another because we should feel comfortable sharing our needs with one another. But another reason that we don't pray for the needs of others that much, if we're really going to be honest with ourselves, is we don't care that much. That means we're just too busy. Too busy with ourselves. We're too busy with our own activities. We're too busy with our own lives, with our own comfort, with our own enjoyment. I mean, think about it. Before this virus came about, how busy were we? How busy were our families? Probably more people have called and checked on more people during this time than 10 or 20 years. It has made us aware. Because why? Because we couldn't be that busy with ourselves, with our activities, with our own comfort and enjoyment any longer. 
So some good things have come out of it probably. We as believers need to constantly be remembering one another and praying for one another. We may not be able to remember everyone and everything, but we can write down things as we hear them and pray for them. And we need to have that on our hearts and our minds at all times. Someone shared about Harry Truman in in a book that he had read, and, and he wrote about how he loved to go on long walks. And one night as president, he decided to go on a walk, and so he strolled down to the Memorial Bridge of the Potomac. And while there, he became very curious about the uh, mechanism that raised the bridge and lowered it. So he makes his way across the catwalk down into the inner makings of the, the bridge, and he comes upon this man who was a tender of the bridge sitting down there. And he had his tin bucket there, and and he was eating. He didn't say anything. He finished his meal. He wiped his face and and, uh, hands with his uh, uh, handkerchief after he finished. And he looked up at the president. And he smiled, and he said, You know, Mr. President, I was just thinking about you. President Truman said, that was a greeting that I never forgot. Why? To think that there was a man sitting down there going about his business, yet he was thinking about me. That meant the world to to him, and especially to him that had the president that had so many burdens on him at the time. You know, knowing that there are Christians out there in the normal routine of life, thinking about you or, or thinking about others or thinking about me, that is heartwarming. And it's also life-changing. And we have heard more about that during this time of crisis. In the fellowship of believers, We need to know this. We need to make sure that we let people know this and to practice this exercise. We need to let others know that we're praying for them. We need not, I mean, we not only need to pray for these believers, but every once in a while, we need to let them know that we're thinking about them. We need to let them know that they're on our hearts, that they're in our minds, and that they're in our prayers. We need to have individuals, families, ministries, needs, requests on our minds and in our prayers. To do this, we need to know one another better. I mean, to really be effective, we got to know one another better. You have to be concerned about one another. Paul is thanking God for the transforming work of the Spirit in these believers' lives, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, he says, your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. You have a trilogy of virtues here, faith, love, and hope. Faith is more upward. 
Love is more outward and hope is more forward. Paul told the uh, believers that they had a faith that was a working faith. If we have a faith, it should be a faith that works. This is the type of faith that we're talking about. Paul saw that in the lives of these believers, a working faith. He told them that if you have a love, it should be a love that labors. Not only a faith that works, but a a love that labors. This type of love ministers to other people. And Paul says, if you have a hope, it should be a kind that produces steadfastness and stability and endurance, knowing that one day we're going to be delivered from all suffering, sorrow, pain, sickness, death, and be with the Lord alive forever. There's a lot in this world that causes us to feel hopeless. There's a lot in this world that causes us to be despairing. Many have a misplaced hope, the hope that has settled into a sense of security that it's in maybe their freedom or their material possessions or their jobs or their families or whatever it might be. Well, this is a misplaced hope. The hope that Paul is talking about is a hope in Jesus Christ. Paul reminds the Thessalonian believers of the steadfastness of a real hope which they had in Jesus Christ. Believers that have a forward hope or a high hope. The best is yet to come for them. That type of hope. Believing in that. Do we really believe in that? The Thessalonians never knew what their immediate future held for them, but they did know what the future for them held. They had, a high, they had high hopes and knew the best was yet to come for them. So we need a faith that is deep, a love that is broad, and a hope that is forward or high. Of all the people, we should have a hope that is a gusty hope. A hope that is eternal. A hope that is steadfast. To know that whatever we may face cannot overpower what is coming for the believer. We should have a hope that gives us stability and steadfastness, as I mentioned earlier. Someone uh, said, hope is what helps us live today as if tomorrow were yesterday. We should all be believers, lovers, hopers. And to be this, we must be centered in Jesus Christ, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. It is is living our lives in openness before the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. This hope gives us a sense of security, no, no matter what might come our way. These believers were facing tribulation, loss of all kind, even their life perhaps, but they had this hope and other people saw this. They were steadfast. They had been transformed 
by the grace of God and we're being transformed day by day. They were a transformed church. They had that mark. Now the next mark, to have that transformed mark, you need to make sure that you're elected, you're elect church. You're a chosen church. And we'll talk about that next week. Let's go to the Lord. Father, God help Forest Heights Baptist Church. Help Mike Purdy. Help others in this church that make up this church. Help us be a church that is a pattern church, a model church for others to see you through. Help us to attract people to you. And to do that, to be that church, that pattern church, we have to be a real church, a genuine church. It has to be real in our lives. God, help us to exemplify that realness in our lives to others. Not for our glory, but for your glory, so that they'll be brought to you through us. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your plan and being able to, to do this, but we've got to allow you to transform us and transform us as we'll talk about later on. We've got to be chosen. Thank you, God. Thank you for making all that possible through your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for that great sermon, Brother Mike. Uh, before I let you all go, I do just want to remind you that we'll uh, be continuing to have our virtual prayer conference on Wednesday nights at 6.30, so be sure to either find that link or the call-in number so you can uh, be sure to join us. Uh, if you have any questions about anything throughout the week, any prayer requests that you want lifted up, again, be sure to either message the church on Facebook or send us an email to info at fhbcathens.org. And whatever it is, we will do whatever we can to help you. I hope you have a great week.